0: Welcome back to the Giants Guys. Extremely special guest this week. Giants ring of honor, two-time Super Bowl champion, absolute legend for Big Blue, number 58 Carl Banks.
1: Run out, run out. Woo! Guess what people you're listening to another episode of The Giants Guys. And you always know you're in the right place when Jeff does that weird thing with his arms. I don't so know, you know what it is, Carl. always know you're in the right spot.
0: I can't help it, well, Carl. <laughs> My day yeah, is made right there, Carl. It's just something did it to do me. with
1: the, the movie uh, Wedding Crashers. And, it's,
0: it's Will Ferrell.
1: And, and Jeff always starts to show off with that. So um, I'm going to read you <laughs> off a list, Jeff. Tell me if this sounds like um, someone that used to wear blue. Um, third overall pick in 1984, two-time Super Bowl champ, all-decade team, ring of honor, top 10 all-time in sacks, voice of the Giants since 2007, owner of G3 Sports, does that sound like somebody you know, Jeff?
0: It sounds very familiar, Carl. Is that anybody you know? Is that a resume you're familiar with?
2: I heard a few people with those uh, <laughs> similar resumes, those well, accolades. I'm not sure I can put it on one person. But... Well, thank Carl. You have said uh, 2012 Michigan State Hall of Fame induction. I was, I See, I was
1: holding on to my Michigan State questions. He, but thanks, thanks for hanging out with us. Um, we have uh, Jeff in the building and Michael. We gave Spiro and, and, and Mikey Fresh the day off so we could spend some time with Carl. Um, you've been good to us over the years. You and I have chatted a million times. Um, I'm going to start off with with a little bit. Um, since my daughter's going to Michigan State in two years to play field hockey in the Big Ten, nice. I'm going to ask you a couple Michigan State questions if you don't mind. Okay. All right, cool. So, 1984 draft you're the third overall pick i even had to write the names down i know irving fryer but irving fryer and dean stacker cool. go before you so as a kid from michigan like do you, are you excited to go to new york or you know are you overwhelmed about going to new york and of course the second question would be is are you familiar with lawrence taylor is doing since he's been there for three years
2: Yeah, so um, to answer the first question, like being the third player picked overall and actually the first player drafted on draft day, if you think about it, because those other guys were were pre-drafted, I was over the moon because I was just thrilled to be drafted. I had no idea that um, I was ranked that high or... Uh, was projected to go that high. You know, keep in mind, this is pre-internet. And so it's all about, you know, the uh, the magazines, the quarterly magazines. So I, you know, I wasn't ranked that high. And then after the combines, I'm, I'm sure there were some people on TV talking, but I had no idea um, that I was going to be drafted that high. And then, yeah, everybody knew who Lawrence Taylor was. But, you know, the thing is, I was a Midwest guy. So I knew Dick Buckus, I knew Jack Lambert, Jack Ham, and all of those guys. But yeah, this Lawrence Taylor was just like the Mr. Everything. But, um, you know, and plus I knew Brad Van Pelt, who was like our childhood hero. We, he, he, his, his high school, may he rest in peace, but his, his high school and my high school would play each other every year, and he was Mr. Everything in every sport, right? So I knew him, and plus he was a Michigan State great, um, so I knew he was there at Michigan, I mean at um, at the Giants as well, but I didn't know a lot about um, Brian Kelly, and you know, I knew about Harry Carson, but it was just like, I did ju- just didn't know the tradition of that Giants defense, you know, as a whole.
3: I, I saw the,
1: uh, the interview you gave where you said Harry Carson and Taylor were hanging out, and they looked at you and they said, "What are you going to do to get on the field?"
2: Yeah, yeah, that was that was kind of the most eye-opening moment as a pro I ever got, and that was like my first first moment in the building. Like, and I'm wide-eyed and really excited to meet these two great players. And Harry's, you know, uh, his greeting to me was that, so it became a little sobering. Like, okay, this is a business, you know, and I'm sure. He wasn't happy because two of his guys were gone as a result of me being there and Gary Reasons.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask you, like, how is that? Like, you said, both Michigan guys, both both Spartans, both Giants, and you kind of wind up then replacing Van Pelt. Like, is that like a lot of pressure out of the gate? Or is that something like you're already overwhelmed? There's nothing, to, you can't even concept that.
2: Um, I wasn't even, you know, I, I I did not feel the pressure. And thankfully, I was just so naive that I just wanted to go in and be the best that I could be right so I I didn't I wasn't up on the whole politics of you know team dynamics and and things of that nature I I was you know a captain at Michigan State and I never participated in all the bullshit excuse me so I was kind of above it um so you know those guys left I knew it I knew that you know they weren't happy about it but listen, it wasn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't get rid of those guys and I didn't draft myself. So my job was just to go in and do the best I could. And, you know, um, and then our first practice, like Lawrence practiced faster than I ever played, (laughs) um, a football game ever in life. Right. So I knew that there was another level you had to go to. And, um, you know, I went there and just had to just show that I was worthy of, of being the pick, but, you know, there were a lot of questions, you know, um, from fans as to why. And um, you know, as 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 I look back on my career, I hope I answered that question. I'd I mean,
0: say
2: so. Yeah, exactly. Because like you know, I th- I thought a lot about him, like the whole
1: Van Pelt thing, and then like you guys went to the same school. He, like you said, he was in like he played like five
2: sports and like lettered in every sport. Yeah, so he was like, he was like Jim Thorpe growing yeah. up. Like he was everything, and and like. Middle school to high school to college, he was literally everything. He had like the shot put record. He had every, and I was a shot putter in high school. Um, but like he was like Mister Everything, legit, like really, really good.
1: Did you guys uh, keep friend, uh, stay friends over the years at all? Or I no? just,
2: you know, I just um, admired and said hello to him. Like I, we really never cross paths where we just hung out together. Okay. But like every time I saw him at a Michigan state game, if he came back or through our communities, cause he was in a, a community that was like maybe 20 minutes away, but our, like I said, our high schools played each other. You know, I would always say hello to him because he was the guy that everybody looked up to.
1: Sure. Well, let me ask you about numbers. Cause like, you know, numbers are like vital for some people. It's marketing, it's identity, you you're 54, right? You you go to the Giants. Like, does Andy Hedden at all entertain giving you 54, or do the Giants just slap a 58 on you? Because I mean, these guys nowadays, like, they're buying each other's numbers. They're oh, doing.
2: Yeah, so uh, it's so interesting. I just had this this conversation uh, with someone over at the Giants this morning. Um, so when I the process was, you know, you go through your orientation, your physicals, you know, and your next stop, it's, you know, trainers, this, that, and then equipment. And so you just go to the equipment window and Andy Edden's there waiting on me. You know, he's like, oh boy, I know you wore 54 in college. (laughs) I'll sell it to you for like 30 grand. What? And so (laughs) I just looked at the equipment manager (laughs) And I said, give me, give me a jersey. So whatever he pulled out, that was gonna be my number. So he pulled out 58. I'm like, okay, this is my number. I just I didn't even entertain it. Like I'm, you know, I guess I'm a little different or indifferent because I never really gave that much thought to the number itself, right? Yeah, sure. It was what you do in the number and then it's somebody else's. It's like. Everybody is. Um, I, I was looking on on um, social media, and people were telling the kid Ellison, "Oh, that's Carl Banks's number. How could they get my fucking number? My number? <laughs> you know, it's it's the next guy's number. My I did my job in that number, and I'm in the Ring of Honor. So you know, I'm done. Yeah, I'm rooting yeah, for yeah. the next guy to be as good, if not better, than me. So I like you know, nobody owns that number if your name is Lawrence Taylor, you own 56. If you're, if you're Michael Jordan, you own 23. Yeah. yeah you're, sure. 58, you're, you know, you're Jack Lambert. You're whoever. <laughs> Antonio you
0: know? Pierce.
2: Yeah, exactly. I, you know, I'm like, okay, I just want to do good. You know, and it, no matter what number I wear.
0: Was there any part of you watching Antonio Pierce be such a great giant you know, was there any part of you that was like, all right, making 58 proud, you know, like, was there part uh, of you? We was used like... to
2: talk about it all the time. We used to refer to each other as 58. Like, what's up, 58? <laughs> he's like, what's up, 58? And, nice. you know, he's such such a great guy, great player for the Giants, but just a just a smart guy to talk football with, too. Like, if you had a conversation with Antonio, it could be a simple question, and we could end up an hour later still talking about the dynamics of football or a particular play and how things work so he was he was a guy that made me proud that I wore 58
1: yeah I just had to I just had to know because you know how numbers are nowadays like people are selling them and buying them and marketing yeah. themselves that they got jewelry with their numbers on I'm like to some guys you know everybody's all over Tony because they gave him 89 you know like yeah it gets it gets crazy but I had to at least find out if that was a you know, and, yeah, and and I, and I can, can pretty much check.
2: tell you, I can pretty much tell you that Mark Bavaro could care less either. <laughs> <laughs> and he and I are kind of in the same mindset. He's probably like, Oh, what, what is everybody so nuts about it? Fuck it. He can have it. I'm done. You know, it's kind of like, um, it, it's always, but it's fine. You know, and believe me, I get the fandom. I get the fact that players are attached to their favorites i'm sorry fans are attached to their favorite players so they have an affinity for a number like the, the the coolest thing that um i see every year out of our um press box where we're called where bob hop and i are calling the game i look down and there are two season ticket holders one wears a banks jersey the other one wears a bavaro jersey and it's the coolest thing ever because mark and i are really good friends and we were tightest teammates because you know we battled each other every day right yep. so every year i send him that picture and say they still love us you know <laughs> but it's the coolest thing like they, that affinity for you know uh, for mark and i um it has a special meaning um when you see banks and bavaro together because you know, there are just so many, mean, um, you can listen to coaches talk about it more than he and I ever would, um, but just the battles we would have in practice to make each other better, right? And Mark, you know, for me, made me as good as I was, and I'm sure he'll say the same thing because it wasn't an offensive practice versus a defensive practice. Like when the offense is time to go, Mark wanted me to play him at game speed so that he could really get better and then when it's a defense's uh practice same thing and then it became the expectation almost as though all the coaches would stand around and watch us go one-on-one Yikes. with each other but it was just like the two of us made each other better and then you know howard cross was another guy that that really kind of worked, you know, we worked together, and it was like, Carl, I need you to give me everything you got. I, you know, I need to work on certain things, and then you know, Mike Pope, the tight ends coach would would come over and say, okay, Banksy, we got a little 9-on-7 today. I need you to give Mark everything you got, and you know, it was just an expectation, and it was fucking hard, though. Like, it's <laughs> like working against Bavaro and working against um, Howard Cross was, was hard. And then you know Zeke Moai for the time he was there, same thing. They were so well coached, but we just made each other so much better. And um, it was just, but it was fucking hard. Like nobody else had to do a drill uh, like Mark and I. It was just, and that's why. Like every time I see that Banks and Bavaro jersey in the stands, I send it to him, and it's you know because it has a special meaning to us.
1: Yeah, oh, that that's that's cool. I was uh. So like I said my my daughter's 17, right? So she's mm-hmm. she's going she's going to uh, MSU in 2 years. So I was going to and I have a son that's um he's 13, he turned 13 last week. So I was going to get them for 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 Christmas. I didn't do it. I probably should have done it, but I was going to get a Plaxico and I was going to get a Banks throwback for for nice. them, you know, so when they when they go and she walks on campus, you know, She's a scholar and a- uh, athlete. She'll have to be there probably in July. Um, so like when she goes, I wanted her to walk on campus and be like, yo, I know what time it is here.
2: There you go. <laughs> they'd have been like, who is this 54? They <laughs> have to go They have to go into the Duffy Doherty building. I think they still got my number, my name, my face on the wall there. But
0: yeah. for anybody that recognizes what she's wearing, they'll be like, oh, this girl gets it. You know, yeah, exactly. she's in the metal. Yeah.
1: exactly you know because like she like she's into it and she's and i told her that you went there and i told her plaxico went there like uh-huh. she was like oh now, i want one of those i was like i don't know if they make That's them cool. that small honey i mean I'll, I'll let me see what i can do so i found them like you can get them made you know you got to yeah. make it
0: happen you got to do it craig
1: yeah and then my son i'm gonna give him the old i think plaxico wore number four if i remember yeah right. so yeah my, uh, Michael Stewart, show him the jacket. Show him what you got.
0: Oh,
2: yeah.
3: <laughs> well, let's say that I got this a year after you guys won that second Super
2: Bowl. Yeah. It I know the jacket well. It looks and so. And I will fresh. tell you this,
3: Carl. I, I will tell you this. These guys can to tell you. I've never worn this, and I was hoping one day to
2: wear this when you come on. So. There we go. I'm glad. I'm <laughs> glad we got both of those things out of the way.
1: Listen, I've been I've been trying to get. So, you probably forget, Carl. You talk to a million people, but. Two, three years ago, three years ago, you made those those. Uh, they were like a silver or maybe a gray, and all the players yeah. wore them to London.
2: Yeah, the London jacket.
1: I I buy a half dozen of them. I mean, I'm lo- those jackets are so nice. I remember oh they Jeff they wore like this, like it was like a silver gray. Satin. Yeah, it was
2: a commemorative mm. piece we did with the London flag on it and everything. Yeah. I'll
0: take I'll take three of them.
2: I was gonna say they're <laughs> so bad. They were so they were so awesome. And like yeah, We sold Jagu- out of those and um so we do them for every team that go. I think the Jets are going this year, so it'll be a really cool um creation. We're looking, you know, talk, i talked talked to my designer today about creating something special there. So Jet fans will have something fun to, yeah, well, to buy with.
1: Well, I can't wear a jet jacket that won't go
2: over. I understand, but I got some other stuff for for Giants <laughs> fans. We got a real we got a real cool program uh coming out this fall. I mean, it's it's this one this one will be epic. It's it's a dope um group. We got a whole capsule collection coming out and All right. uh, Well, we're it's, we- it's it's called a locker room player exclusive. So everything mm-hmm. is authentically locker room quality back to where when I played every element is like it's 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 pretty special group it's a pretty special group so we're not messing around with you know cheap quality or newfangled tech quality we're doing throwback fleece we're doing it's 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 a you'll, you'll you'll know it's it's like if you were a kid, right? Or you went to high school with somebody that went to college or played in the pros. And every time you came home from the summer, that guy's like, yo, when are you going to give me one of those sweatsuits? I need one of those sweatsuits. Right. I need one of those jackets. It's that type of quality. No, it's I, it's I, like. George Martin
1: used to live like four miles from me growing up. I used to uh-huh. live in Wannacue and he lived in, at least when he was younger, lived in Ringwood. Right. Yep. And I, I would see him, I would see him with some, I mean, he had such cool gear. I mean, I'd see him like maybe like three times a year. Maybe you'd be like at a supermarket or you'd see him at the the Willowbrook mall. And like, you'd be like, who's that giant? Like that's George Martin. And you'd be like, man, he looks good in that gear, man. Always with the big wide stripes and stuff. Oh, yeah. 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 uh, So
2: it's, it's, it's this collection. uh, It's a five piece collection that's you know like we call it locker room player exclusive but it's um there's a lot of fun stuff that we're going to be doing with it actually um and i'm actually telling you guys i I i'm telling anybody exclusive um, Exclusive. yes yeah (laughs) we have a whole commercial being shot with some of the players Uh, um and that commercial is a remake of the old starter commercial called What Does It Take to Be the Best? And um, it features that one featured Emmett Smith and Carl Malone and Don Shula. But um mm-hmm. we're remaking that and it's um what we're doing is gonna be special, but it's yeah. it's 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 this like this is one of the more um this capsule is one I'm I'm super excited about. Like this is it's get, It's gonna give you that that right. feeling of authenticity. But
1: not only are we getting an exclusive, I'm I'm feeling like we're we're working on getting a, getting a you know on the list like the Santa. It kind of feels
0: <laughs> like that, doesn't it? It feels like that, like <laughs> Man, You know that.
2: <laughs>
1: hey, listen, you know I, that. Told you, I, I told you. I told you earlier. I gave away those five. Might, you know
2: what? I might debut the spot on your site. <laughs> oh Let's go. Well, well I'm a, I'm gonna
1: make an announcement right now too, just so you know, Carl. So I've had make a long story short, I used to work for Bleacher Report years ago. And Uh when Turner bought Bleacher Report, they let us all go, right? So Uh I made made NY Giants Rush, you know, because I was pissed off. So nine years later, I've had the same website for for nine years. Because we're interviewing today, okay, it's been a secret. These guys haven't seen it. Even the rest of our team hasn't seen it. Tomorrow, when we upload the the interview that we're doing right now, we're launching a new NYGiantsRush.com. Nice. So, what we're going to do is we'll put whatever you got, bang, right on the front. And let me tell well, you, we may,
2: we actually may premiere that, 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 um, that spot with you guys. It, you right. know, it, it, it's, um, it's fun though, but, but rest sure we make sure you guys have the product. All this right. Box. Well, nice.
1: we, like I told you, you, you
3: yeah.
1: I remember, uh, I remember you gave me, you gave me the, the, like the summer line or the spring line last year to give away. We gave away yeah. the, the the jacket so you you're always good to us i have people all the time like you carl tight out i'm like look we're we're twitter friends or as jeff says we're twitter (laughs) chums but i've actually never met the man they're like wait you've had season tickets for 30 years i'm like yeah but i don't go hunt the man down i'm like (laughs) i I go to the game i go home i listen to i will say i will say that like there's nothing more enjoyable than listening to you and bob um Uh, uh, kill, but but killing Lance, he must be a really good guy. But you guys
2: you guys give him Listen, such a hard time. Lance Meadow is the absolute best. <laughs> he is he is the Lance is one of our guys, but he is the absolute best uh, broadcast partner or teammate. Broadcast teammate, yes. he's he's incredible. But the funny thing is, we always tease him, and this is something like. If I had to program like a postgame show the one thing I would get rid of is the reading of stats like we used to tease Lance like when are you going to get to an actual highlight because he'll go <laughs> down and read like the entire stat sheet before <laughs> he gets to an highlight but that's just the way the the postgame shows are are um programmed. but I think it's to buy time so that they could get to the player interviews and like we used to tell our boss Don Spreling listen Just let him get into the highlights so we can talk and give the fans something to listen to because they're riding home and sitting in traffic, and all Lance is doing is giving the play-by-play, you know, (laughs) down this whole. I mean, the shit is like the first quarter, it could be like 40 plays. And he's just reading every one. I'm like, can we get into like actually a highlight? So, but he's the best.
1: Yeah, yeah, Um, I enjoy that. Jeff, were you gonna talk about Super Bowls? You had something on that list.
0: I had something uh for you, and I, I spoke with my dad for about a half hour to prep for this interview because my dad, he's the reason I'm a diehard Giants fan. I was born in 83, so the games were always on every Sunday. You were the reason my dad was yelling at the TV every Sunday, but I talked to him and you know, he's like, you can't talk about Carl Banks without talking about Lawrence Taylor. And you guys were, were joined and you, like in my eyes, you started that Giants tradition of defense and what my dad was saying, because he watched every snap, In a way that i couldn't be in that young but you know teams would have to game plan for lt and he's like what made the giants great is that they couldn't just run away from lt because carl banks is on the other side and my dad was like i don't ever remember him missing a tackle missing an assignment he was always there and so leading to this and by the way my dad says hi Already says hi.
2: hi
0: <laughs> you know, were you aware that teams were game planning away from LT and maybe coming to you? Did that come? Sure. Um, you always ready? So, for-
2: yeah. So it's two things. Like you have a certain skill set. I'm not trying to sound like Liam Liam Neeson, but <laughs>
0: very specific um, set of. I
2: walked through the door with a skill set, right? And that skill set was being a sure tackler, and the ability. To not get blocked, right? I walked through the door with that. I didn't know how well that skill set would hold up um, when put under fire, like to the to the maximum degree. Because it wasn't like if a team wanted to run the ball, they would try a little bit at Lawrence and to try a little bit at me. It just became we're running to this guy, right? And so I had to take their best players. Uh, they send their best players to try to block me. And um, I just knew that that was gonna be the thing that I could do uh, amongst other things that I could do. But if there was gonna be one thing that stood out about me within a defense with such talented players, it would be the fact that I was going to be unblockable if you ran at me, like I could pass rush, I could blitz. And we did a lot of that, but we knew, you know, who our best guy was at that. So. You know, I could end up with a double digit sack year, and it will still be about Lawrence Taylor and I, everybody was fine with that but like, how do you make your mark in a defense that's so talented right. Yeah, well, sure. It's easy doing what you're asked to do doing what you're counted on to do right it was not about the flash pieces to me. It was like, okay, this is what I'm asked to do this is what they count on me to do. So I'm going to do it better than anyone else. And, you know, that's when people start, well, you know, you can't run at banks and he's this, and he's the best run defender as a linebacker in this league. We've seen in a long time, but it was about just being consistent because that's what our defense count. You know, they counted on me to do that. And um, the thing that made our, our, our group so great was the fact that, we were all accountable to each other. And, and, and the thing was, you know, with Belichick and, and with coach Parcells, you know, it was just, you know, and you hear Belichick says all the time, oh, just do your job. And that was our mantra. We just wanted to do it better. We wanted to make the guy in front of us quit, you know, while doing our job and, um, that was that was my thing you know um if, if there was going to be a skill set that I walked through the door with that I knew was going to be pretty good and it didn't matter who they lined up in front of me that was going to be it like I, I'm not going to I, I miss one tackle or a guy that was better than me on Monday night um Randall Cunningham which you know is so uh, interesting that, um, that
3: plays yeah it's so yeah, it's interesting not like play. I
2: still you know Philly fans think it's like something that really drives me crazy. Right. They're like, hey, how about Randall? Remember Randall on Monday night? I'm like, yeah, he made a hell of a football play. Right. So it's like, you know, <laughs> we look at it because I don't miss tackles. Right. And so I'm like, well, shit, this is just the equivalent of playing great defense on Michael Jordan. I got my hand in his face. I I'm mean, imp- and he still hit it. That's yeah. basically what it came down to. Oh, I mean, yeah. he was better than I was on that play. And he and I saw each other maybe a year after that game, and we both laughed about it. I said, boy, that play really made you famous, huh? And he just starts laughing. (laughs) But it's like, you know, people think it was such a thing to me. It was more about him than it was about me. It wasn't my fault. He was just that good, you know? And
1: and Nine out of ten quarterbacks are going down. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: well, ten out of ten. He was just a freak,
1: (laughs) (laughs) right? You know, I did,
2: you know, played the play as perfectly as can be, and he just was better. You know, and I'm good with that.
1: You, you know, what's amazing, too, is so I've played and watched a lot of football through the years. And what I've always appreciated, like I, I've been sitting in that stadium, you know, since the early 80s. And my dad had tickets since the 68, you know, a lot of a lot of Giants games in my house. But mm-hmm. what I always appreciated about that nine year, 10 year span was the gang tackling just the outright you know ferocity on the ball carrier like it was gang tackling guys went down low and form tackled like you don't see that in today's game guys wrapping up top there you know you just don't see that that type of defense anymore because you know you had you know there was Carson and LT and then you had guys like Eric Howard and Dorsey and you just had you just had guys they didn't care how big they were how fast they were just guys hit. You know, it's a different game now. I get it. But it was a—it was something I always appreciated about that era was just the the ability to make an open field tackle.
2: <laughs> yeah, know? so that was the thing. Um, gang tackling. And then it, it still holds true. If you look at the best defenses in football. They still do it. They still do it. And the reason is, is because, again, you talk about that sense of pride as a defender when the film cuts on, right? And everybody talk about, yeah, we gonna hunt, we gonna hunt, right? And if you got seven guys to the to the ball and the other four guys are not in the frame, then you're pretty much loafing on the play. And so you need to either be in the frame, which is probably about the size of the screen, uh, or if you're not in the frame, then your teammates are like finding you. They're like, dude, you gotta be a part of this. But like, For us, it was the more guys to the football, the less likelihood we're going to give up a hundred yard rusher or that a guy, if a guy breaks a tackle, you know, it won't be noticed because we got so many guys to the football. So, and then, you know, Bill even gave us even more incentive. Like, you know, if you got six or seven guys, if the other guys are in the frame and this is like the beautiful stuff about Bill Belichick in terms of how everything is related in football. So he's like, okay, I got, I got um, seven guys to the football and Jim bird, just pulled the football out of the, the player's hand. You four efforts could have been running and you you may not have been at the tackle, but if you were in this frame, there's a good likelihood you would have recovered that fumble. So, like, there, he always has a method to the madness. So, you know, if you're not close enough to the play, but there could be a tip ball, there could be a, a, you know, our guys, if we got that many guys to the football, Bill's like, if we got this many people to the football, pull it out. And, you know, if you guys are running, we're going to end up getting that ball. And so it was just all those th- different things that um, he would talk about that made football – so practical and easy and and functional you know because everything had had a reason uh for being within within our our teams
1: uh people if you don't realize it you're listening to the giants guys we're interviewing carl banks we got some exclusives we got some msu talk we broke out an old starter jacket that michael stewart's wearing michael you got a question for carl
3: well, yeah, I do. And one quick one quick one was that 84 draft where Carl was in. That was like one of the best giant drafts I can remember. I mean, look at the guys that in that first Super Bowl for them all contributed. Uh, you know, you had Roberts, right? You had reasons. You had Carl. Yeah, a lot of really good plays. Ha-Standler. Emmanuel, Ha-Standler. Ha-Standler, that was yeah. a great draft, first yeah. of all. And another thing, uh, that 86 run of uh, Carl. Not to toot your horn because you're on, but you were definitely, and I love Lawrence Taylor. You, you were the best defensive player during that whole run, and I think you had like double digits in tackles
2: in the Super Bowl that year. Yeah, I had Denver. like 15, 15 yeah, tackles I mean, or something like that.
3: I, yeah, so, absolutely you
2: were um, dominant. Yeah, it was it was that was a great a great draft for us. Um, you know, we had a guy Elvis Patterson came in with me, Lionel Manuel, oh, Bobby Johnson. Oh, all of those guys were in that draft class. So that was, you know, when they Bill decided he was turning the roster over and he needed his guys. Um, but like the Super Bowl, right? Love Bobby so Johnson. I in that Super Bowl, like if if you ask any athlete, you know, what's their idea of a perfect game, right? Whatever the plays that they make, they want that perfect game to be in the biggest game of their career. And I think I had as close to a perfect game as I ever, any football could ever, any football player could ever have. And it just happens to be in the Super Bowl. But it was, you know, I was really prepared for the moment. Um, I did um, so much in preparation of that game. I was actually talking to Bill Polian about, you know, how I even Mm -hmm. watched film for things I wasn't looking for. So that I just had a feel for the rhythm of the game, not just you know, uh, plays that we went over in meetings, but just letting the film run and seeing what what jumps out, getting a feel for um, the cadence of an offense or the rhythm of an offense so that, you know, as the game goes on, I just kind of felt like there was nothing that they could do that I couldn't stop.
1: Any difference between those two Super Bowls? Like, I know they're different games and different teams. We were a different
2: team. We were different teams. You know, obviously, in the uh, 90 uh, Super Bowl, we had a lot of injuries. You know, I missed part of that season. We lost our quarterback. We lost our running back. Um, So we had a lot of guys in and out of the lineup. But um, we still felt great about how good we were. And um, the difference was the freaking Buffalo Bills were just incredible. And um, we just came up with the most ingenious, uh, yeah. ingenious game plan that nobody anticipated. So o-
1: OJ Anderson. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, dude was diesel in, in that game. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Speaking of the the brilliance of Bill Belichick and how he coached you guys and everything, how much of Joe Judge, you know, how much of that influence do you see in Joe Judge the way he conducts business and thinks about football
2: i think it's it's you know if, if i had to say it, it, and I've, I've been around a lot of guys who try to be like yeah. belichick more so than have learned from belichick i think joe judge is the guy without trying to be bill belichick he is authentically who he is but you see a lot of the qualities of a young bill belichick but he has to support of his city and of his team, so the Bill Belichick in Cleveland is the Bill is are, are the qualities that I see in Joe Judge, like all about football, no nonsense, no time to bullshit with the media. You know, in Cleveland they had just come off of, of uh, Marty Schottenheimer, who was you know um, very friendly with the press and. But Bill Belichick is about football. He's about his players. He's about football. That's Joe Judge. Joe Judge is about all of this time do you want me to bullshit with the media. I could be working with a guy who needs to get better, and teaching a guy what we need them to do, and all the little things that are gonna make a difference in a tight game. Um, and that's you know, and that's not trying to imitate Bill Belichick. It just says that he learned the important, the most important tenets of of success and of winning and of building a team. So um, he subscribes to, you know, the same principles as every successful coach, but he kind of gets it early. And you know, people and you see the same reactions. Oh, he's gonna, fail. he's he's too hard on his players. He says his players love him.
3: I was say, they, they, sure love look like they love doing him. this
2: stuff, right? And this is no shade to the new coach in Philadelphia, but how do you let your players negotiate you out of having a mandatory minicamp? Like that's not the type of, and and again, this is no shade. They they live and they play and they could end up being a good football team. But like, you actually do have to practice. Football is a sport you got to actually practice to be good at. (laughs) Yeah. you got to command the room too, right? Yeah. But I don't know his command of the room, but just the fact that, that like, to be able to be negotiated out of a mandatory mini camp where, you know, if they're getting away with that, then I don't know what training camp's going to be like, cause they're going to be like, yeah, damn coach, you are working this too hard. I mean, <laughs> you know, so but that is what it is and it's no shade, but just to contrast the two types of coaches. You know, and what Joe Judge believes in, I'll, he'll tell you. He want the more opportunities he gets to work with a guy, the better they both can be, and the better the team can be. And that's, you know, that's Bill Belichick ish, you know. And not it's not one size fits all, but it fits for what he's trying to do here in New York.
1: And uh, and Judge awesome. and Graham seem like they're two peas in a pod. They seem like they get along real well. Um, I've heard Bobby Skinner call him "shake and bake." I mean, he, I mean, I'm these two guys seem like they fit well together, like two puzzle pieces.
2: Yeah, I mean that, that's that's they both understand it, and you know, both guys and, and Patrick and I are are, are relatively close. Um, I've known Patrick since he was in, in basically an intern with the Patriots and just learning it, and we spent a lot of time together talking football, and he's never you know, he's he's never satisfied with anything that goes good or bad. Like he's always looking to improve. How can a player improve? How can he be better as a coach? And, you know, just relating to his players too. Like there are conversations he and I would have just on, you know, how do you think is the best way to relate to a player like this? You know, because think about coming in as a staff and all you heard is like, oh, well, Leonard Williams can't be coach, or, you know, Leonard Williams is going to go because he just doesn't have this or that. And somehow that staff connected with Leonard Williams and he had his best year, yes. right? Yes. So yes. I think, those are the types of things that make coaches better when they can to have great relationships with their players and their players produce. And so, and it's not like You know, Patrick said, you know, Carl, is this fucking guy an asshole? What am I going to have to do with him? He's like, he says, you know what, Carl? One of my big challenges is to make sure that we can connect with Leonard Williams because he's so talented that we just want to make sure that he could be a Richard Seymour type of guy and he's more athletic. You know, he talks in those types of terms like, uh, I just want to make sure I can connect. And we have a great relationship because I think he could be one of the best players in football.
1: It sounds like he's got good vision, and I yeah. think not not everybody has that. I, I was going to ask you about Patrick is he's got a very wide open defense. I see him rushing two, rushing three, rushing four, like he's interchanging guys. I mean, he's got Carter Coughlin playing the inside when he went through college, playing the outside. Is that a tough defense to 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 staff? Like the pers the personnel that you that you bring in, gotta be flexible, right? Because it's a very yeah. fluid defense.
2: So the thing that um, you hear Joe Judge talk about all the time is players with uh, diverse skill sets, guys that can be multiple things, because he wants to he wants to cross train them. And there's a reason why he wants to cross train them. Not that they're are going to be a problem for a team, to game plan. That's kind of the um, the added benefit or the side effects of cross training sure but because injuries can decimate a roster is you once, once you have the ability to cross train a guy and you can put him in a safety to play corner or a corner to play safety or a linebacker that can play up or down in space or blitz then you your your roster due to injury is not a big hole yeah
1: you're not sure
2: <laughs> Right. So the more talent you have and the more you can cross train those guys, the added benefit of that is hey, um, Washington, figure out who's coming where. And there's that, been a lot of, even when Patrick was in um, Miami, Miami, it would be like, who's the hell, who's coming from where? Right. And then if you say, okay, well, he's coming from here, here's our mismatch you find out that it's not a mismatch cuz just because you didn't see this guy do it don't think don't think that he didn't practice it he's been they've been waiting to run this and this guy can actually cover or this guy can actually blitz so um, they they're really good at that and the fact that they have stacked themselves at corner and safety and even to a large degree at linebacker or let's just say pass rushers um, it's going to be a, a lot of fun to watch this defense because they're going to be so interchangeable.
1: All right, I had to ask this question then about the linebacker. I'm sure Michael and Jeff will both tell you I'm a I'm a big fan of Blake Martinez. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you and I have actually even talked about it on Twitter when people get crazy. Why doesn't the man get any respect? To me, he's the best inside linebacker they've had since Antonio Pierce. Like, you and I have both been on the same thread about all these nut jobs talking about how he can't cover cover not only did you prove them wrong with a couple of pieces of tape you dropped in there, but, and I remember clearly, like the guy's a tackling machine, he's a cerebral player, he's a Stanford guy, he gets it. I mean, like, I, why doesn't this guy get any, well, any it's love?
2: Part, part of the reason is because you have a guy that's a Packer fan that just used to post videos and. the videos basically didn't have contacts. He was just pushing a narrative and hoping that, you know, people, and so I went and looked at his videos, and I'm like, you fucking idiot. Now, and forgive my French, what are you talking about how Blake couldn't keep up with a guy across, running across the the country? It wasn't even his assignment. Right, I'm like, it's a zone defense. He passed it off, (laughs) stupid. You know, just stuff, but like, you know, and I always tell young fans, watch your diet. You know, because if you ingest the wrong narratives, it just it yeah. just ruins your your view of how you should see this game because you're ingesting stuff from somebody who doesn't even know the game. Oh, they just man. talk like they know a lot and they have no idea. Yep. You know, and so but but Blake is, in my opinion, one of the top five middle linebackers in this league today. Uh, he's smart, he's a tackler, great instincts, and he does what they ask him to do. So if somebody says, well, he can't do this, my you know, my retort would be name two that can. Yep. No, he doesn't, he's not good in coverage. Are they asking him to do it? Exactly. Whatever they're asking him to do, he does it better. Which, which than drives 95% me crazy. Of the which drives me
1: crazy because the I mean, if you look the last five years, we've been down the bottom of the NFL in run defense. You right. finally got a guy yeah. that that accelerates the entire defense because yeah. He can close the rundown, and they still want to complain. I just don't get why he doesn't get any love. Um well, Jeff as long you- as he's
2: loved here in New York, that's, that's right. all that matters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's right. all that matters, you know. No. It won't be the first time a Giants player didn't get love.
1: Yeah, yeah. I sent him an, I sent him a note when he got signed. I and I didn't expect anything back. I said, "Welcome to the land of the linebackers. Good luck." And he, and he tweeted it back. He said, "Thank you. Looking forward to it. I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, you know, because that that's what I grew up with. Eighties, nineties. It's always yeah. been the land of the linebacker. Yeah, you know, like that's just Giants are known for running the ball and 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 great linebackers. That's yeah. just been you can go back to Sam Huff, right? Yeah. Right, right? Michael Stewart. We can go yeah. back there. These guys great defense amazing. back then. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so like I just I'm always we don't even talk about Jeff. Jeff, the analytical company. The analytics—I yes. uh-huh. won't even say their name on my show or on my website because they're so full of crap on these lists that they pump out. You know, I'm sure you know it's got value to somebody. Chris Collinsworth evidently owns it, but like, man, yeah. the stuff they put out is infuriating.
2: Um, you know, they're an asset to a large degree, um, and for a new generation of players who think it's the best thing since sliced bread. Um, but, you know, analytics are, they're a tool. They're not a solution. And I think we see it in baseball a lot where managers now try to manage strictly on analytics and it it ruins games. It, it costs you games because, you know, the numbers don't have a heartbeat, players do, right? If you look out and you say, okay, our power 38 is our bread and butter and it's uh, second and six and we can run this and we're guaranteed four yards and it's a third and two, right? And you run it and you get it. But if your left tackle just got hurt and his backup ain't worth a shit, the numbers don't say that, right? So you line up, ask Kansas City. That's Kansas City. They mm. kept trying the same things and getting the same result, right? So, oh, your left tackles out, but the numbers say this is our bread and butter play. Well, wait a minute. It's third and you know it's second and six. Let's run this. We'll be in third and two. Oh, loss of four. Oh, Lost a lot of fours. Wait. Oh, offsides. You know, illegal procedure. You know, so the, the numbers are great when the, the, there's a static uh, variable. When the variables start to change, those numbers don't hold up. And so that's where, you know, coaching is still important. Yeah. Uh, having yeah. a feel for the game is still important. Like you can't run the same plays with different people. You know, you got to have all the variables have to be the same in order for whatever the numbers say that is, Yep. Those variables have to be the cha- have to be the same. So, um, but you know, they they do a good job of of being a big assist to coaching and, and scouting, but it's not the end all and be all. And I'm not anti analytics because you know what Chris has done with it is just taking it to a whole nother level. Like analytics has been around since he and I played, you know, and he's older than I am. And, you know, I'll give you a classic case. And I was talking to Bill Polian about this, um, of a classic case of analytics, was our defensive game plan versus the Buffalo Bills and how we arrived at it. And it was, you know, when Bill was explaining we were going to go with this two-man front and we had to allow Thurman Thomas to run the football, he said, listen, normally in this league, we go back four games to find the tendency. I went back eight games and it's a trend. So there's a difference between a tendency and a trend. Their only pass, their their biggest run play was a swing pass to Thurman Thomas. And he said they they had gotten rid of their entire run game. It was a draw or, or a swing pass to Thurman and that's how they ran the football. But he looked at the numbers. He said, look, they don't run the football other than these two plays and it's a trend. It's been trending since since um, the middle of the season. They're not going to change it for this game. If it were four games, you could have. You would probably have to prepare for something different. But if you're doing it for eight for eight games, it's you're a trend. Gonna,
1: yeah, you're going to keep so, doing
2: it. Yeah. So, I mean, so I you know I'm not anti. I mean, some of the stats are, are meaningless unless you know. Obviously, it feeds into the the fantasy football um, community a lot, which, you know, it benefits them. It also like, you know, Chris's timing is probably as good as you could get in terms of data analytics as it relates to, to sports or especially football, because you have the, the increased exposure uh, to the gambling community mm-hmm. and the ability to, <laughs> it is so interesting, like, Prop bets, right on football games now. Hey, we you know, are, like, we what was it like three years ago? You didn't even, you couldn't even make a prop bet. Now you can make a prop bet during the course of a game. I, that's yeah. a pretty
1: good segue, Carl, because we actually have a sponsor called Pickup, uh-huh. and they actually create props for 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 anything you want. Yeah, I actually put them on. Like, I can literally right now. I'll play this tomorrow. They'll make a prop bet for anything I want. They, and they make them for every team in the NFL. Yeah. And then you can literally, like, for 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 pickup, you're basically playing a prop. You have no money involved, but if you win enough of your prop bets, you stack up money like a credit card, and then yeah. you can turn around and use it to buy, let's say, uh, like a new era cap, or you can yeah. buy a jersey. Right. So yeah, we 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 uh, we see the prop bets. You know, they're they've gotten so popular. Yeah, like 2
2: years ago it was it didn't exist but now you can bet on you know whether or not they're going to throw a ball to uh Alvin Kamara when um the the uh what's the quarterback for New, New, New Orleans the uh Taysom Hill Tyson Hill, yep Tyson Hill comes in the game his primary target is going to be on this play Alvin Kamara you know just they have so much of that stuff but like it doesn't make a lot of sense company though does, they give you all of this information that you can like look at and bet
0: on Well, it's now gotten to the point when they do the, uh, when they announce the lineups, the starting lineups, they have their rank per PFF. They have their, their rank as soon as they announce their name. That's part of the network. uh, Jeff, I'm
1: sure, Jeff, I'm sure you saw today best cornerbacks in the league. They show, they show, they roll out six of the best cornerbacks in the league. Bradbury's not in there. How is it even possible that they have an algorithm that comes up with leaving Bradbury out
2: of the best six corners in the league, it's like not possible. Well, it's because it's not real football; it's just based on numbers. It's just a and piece they'll, of. The they'll, they'll crush the numbers to say, "Well, Bradbury, so and so ranks better than better than Bradbury on passing plays of five yards or less, ten yards or less, ten yards or more." But it's like, is he better, or is it yeah. just to, what the numbers say? I mean, well, maybe. Bradbury doesn't get a lot of five yard or less passes like you know what's what's the what's the criteria is it 20 passes how does he perform with 20 passes or just two they
1: they don't tell you how to they don't tell you how to make the
2: soup right exactly I don't know that if if they're if
0: they're not throwing at Bradbury because he's so good then where is that in the stats because they they don't want to throw to his side of the field so it might be only one pass attempt of 10 or less yards yeah all right.
1: I got one less. Cause I know you don't want to hang out with us all night long. Here's you my last question.
2: basketball, <laughs> well,
1: Exactly. You you've played with Sims. You've played with Hosteller. You've been covering Eli for pretty much his entire career. Give me, give me a, give me a riff on Jones. Like, do you like what you see is, does he have the ability to, to like step in and take this team at least to the playoffs? Like what, what's your real take on Jones? Cause we, uh, Jeff, Michael, you're both agreeing with you. We
2: like Jones, right? Do we not? Are yeah. we not Jones guys? Yeah. So like Daniel has a really good skill set. Uh, I think he's proven that over all the guys that were drafted in his class, um, quarterbacks, and even those that were compared the year before, um, he's held up pretty good statistically uh, and performance wise. Um I think you know he's got he's got to protect the football, that's that's a given. But just from a skill set, a guy who can run uh, as big as he is, um, he's got he throws a, a beautiful football, a very catchable ball, great ball placement, um, and now he's got he's got tools around him, I and mean, he's a second year within an offense. So I just think he's going to. To blossom into a great quarterback. I do. And I use the word great. He's he's going to be a great quarterback in this league, um, just just based on his skill set. And it's he's a big guy. I mean, he's six <laughs> five, he can run, right? Yeah, right? And he's got a big arm. And so um, there's not a lot that that an offensive coordinator can't do with him, but then when you give him a diverse set of wide receivers from Gallaudet to could Tony to a, you know, just a blazer, <laughs> um, Shepard. You no, know, you no, know, Shep is there. Um, but Slayton, a blazer. So he's got so much going on and then a back or uh, two backs that can catch the football. And and one who's an exceptional runner, that school, that, that skill, that toolbox, you know, will make a quarterback exceptional um and he, he just has to do his job
0: are you worried about the line or, <clears throat> or are they going to be good enough to I let think Daniel the Jones fact, wants- given
2: the fact that they did not make changes or make additions to the yeah. offensive line tells you they feel pretty good with the way they're headed you know um because sometimes you add a guy and he's just a stopgap guy and you look and i'm sure they sit in that um that meeting room and they say okay uh, how much better is he than Hernandez? Well, what's the upside for Hernandez? And the guy may say, or scout or or an assistant coach may say, well, Hernandez will probably be even with him by the fourth week of the season and better than him afterwards. So they're like, let's save our money. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. let's just keep coaching the guys that we have. So, um, and I think we saw that this offensive line, um, got better each and every week. So I, I I just think that they'll be okay. And the fact that they can run the ball even makes them a better offensive line because they don't have to worry about being predictable.
1: Yeah, yeah. and I think they, I think they bought uh, Saquon some time too. They filled up the running back room with some and diverse guys.
2: Kyle Rudolph too. Uh, He's to do a good job for him.
1: I, I'm, yeah, I'm excited about Rudolph. I know like, you know, the yep. poor guys had a revolving uh, world of quarterbacks over there. So yeah, I'm a, you know, yep. Christian... Christian Ponder, Teddy yeah. Bridgewater, Cousins. Yeah. So, all right. Well, look, Carl. Thank you. Can't thank you enough for hanging out with us. Exactly. For me, man. And uh, you. you know, we're going to put this up tomorrow on the brand new website. We got an exclusive. We're gonna give some stuff away. Right. Um. And you know, uh, I'm listen. We're back in the stadium, by the way. So now yeah. I can actually give you a shout out because we're there. We go. Know, I sit on the 22 yard line, 22 rows up. So right. you're right. You're right over my shoulder. 22 Twenty-two, twenty-two. <laughs> exactly. All right, Carl. Thank, thanks again for everything, my thank friend. You, I Appreciate the thank time you, and.
2: Uh, I appreciate you
1: know, it. May- maybe, you- maybe you'll consider coming on again after the season.
2: We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks, Carl.
1: Thanks
3: right, thank for everything. You, thank you you, you. Peace. <laughs>